0: We are in the second week of our reframe se- uh, series, where we're really we're really talking about how do you, you know, take all of the things that are going on in your life how the good things, the bad things, the hard things, the pleasant things, the the pleasure, the pain. How do you take all those things and how do you frame them in a way y- you have a grid in which you're interpreting everything that happens to you. But to truly reach your full potential and to experience all that God has for you, you have to reframe everything in the light of the gospel. And, and one of the, the key areas that the gospel really helps you to have strength, to, to overcome, is the area of fear. And especially the area of of fear of rejection or fear of the approval of others or the disapproval of others. And so one of the key elements in the letter to the Galatians, one of the key elements is is the conflict that erupted in these new churches, these young churches, uh, between a group of what we call Judaizers, or Paul calls them the circumcision faction, who came into Galatia and actually followed Paul around to different places to complete Paul's gospel. And as they were completing Paul's gospel, they were saying, you know, you have to have faith in Jesus, but you also have to be circumcised, and you have to follow rigidly the law of Moses, in order to be approved by God. And, and they did not see the disconnect there. They did not see that it cannot be faith plus works, because then the only thing that really matters is what you earn by your works. And so Paul is making it clear that if you can be approved by God on the basis of your performance, on the basis of your works, then Christ died for nothing. And that is it. That, that is a, just a penetrating thought that if this controversy had succeeded in the way the circumcision party wanted it to succeed, it would have destroyed the sacrificial substitutionary death of our Lord Jesus Christ. He would have died for nothing. Now, in very practical ways, though, this this begins to penetrate into, really, not only how you look at the world, but how you look at yourself. And so, this week's focus is, is really on gospel identity. And recognizing that you have an identity that is given you by the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this identity is a settled worth and value. Your life is worth the life of the very Son of God who gave himself for you. Your life has meaning and purpose because you are called into intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus, and you're called to be on assignment with him. You're called to be on mission with him. And so we want to look at that a little more deeply today, this gospel identity. And the truth is, that the conflict that arose in Galatia is a conflict that arises inside our own hearts. Will I live by the identity I receive from Jesus, or will I live by the identity I earn in the eyes of others? And and I want to go back uh, to Galatians 1 for a little bit because Paul puts it so succinctly here, so penetratingly here. He says in verse 10, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? See, religion is is a way of earning the approval of God by winning or securing the approval of man. What man says you have to do to be approved by God. What man says you have to you know, how you have to act, how you have to think, how, you know, you have to feel about things. And so Paul is saying, basically, when you are living for the approval of God by the approval of others, you're not living for the approval of God. Because he says, am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And here is Paul's authority for everything. He says, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. See, he's, he is saying, and, and this is his contention and it is mine as well, is that everything else that anybody tells you is their own gospel. But Paul is saying, I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Here is the authority upon which you base your gospel identity. It's not not your imagination. It's not your wishful thinking. It's not somebody else telling you a good idea. It is God himself revealing to you how he looks at you, And therefore, the authority for this identity is grounded in and rooted in heaven itself. And it's grounded in and it's rooted in the Trinity the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, the reason we're studying Galatians is because Galatians is the essential message of Jesus. It's a book on the gospel, but it's a book on the gospel for Christians. This is often misunderstood. The the thought is the gospel is for people who don't believe or for people who are just barely believing. But Galatians is actually saying the gospel is the meat for those who are serious Christians, who really want to follow Christ. You cannot follow Christ and not understand Galatians. If you do not have the foundation of Galatians, then the following of Christ is always misaligned. It's out of order. And then the other thing is the gospel is incredibly practical. Every issue in your life, the gospel is a framework that will give you strength, that will give you wisdom, that will give you power over every issue that comes against you. If you're feeling confused, the gospel gives you clarity. If you're struggling with suffering, the, the gospel gives meaning to your suffering. If you're starting to slide back into old habits, the reason we slide back is we begin to believe that our needs are not being met. So we go back to old ways of meeting, sometimes even legitimate needs, but there are illegitimate ways we're trying to meet them. And the gospel meets us there and says, your needs are real, but the provision for your needs is only found in the good news of Jesus Christ and in intimacy with God. The gospel is everything. Well, that's why the Apostle Paul is willing to enter into controversy. It is worthwhile to have conflict. It is worthwhile to have controversy when the issue is really the gospel of Jesus Christ. That has to frame everything. So what happens is that even people who will say they are Christians, like this circumcision party, they're turning to another gospel, saying it's a more complete gospel or it's a more fulfilled gospel than Paul's, when in fact it's no gospel whatsoever. Now, it doesn't mean that we agree on everything. That's not really the issue of having to agree on everything. And we can have differences over certain things. But what Paul is saying is if anybody changes the foundation of the basis of our relationship with God and our acceptance with God, if anybody changes that even a little bit, they are turning the gospel inside out. So he's basically saying you have two choices for the confidence that you have in your relationship with God. And one is, will you base your standing with God on your on on in a sense, as you stand before God, will you base your confidence on your life and what you've produced and what you've performed, or will you stand before God on the basis of what Christ has done? Because these Judaizers are saying it's Jesus plus works, it's Jesus plus obeying the law. But see, the the, the real issue there isn't what Jesus did. The real issue there will be what you've done. That's why Paul is saying it will be as if Christ died for nothing because the only thing that will matter will be how well or how badly you have met the requirements of the law. And the problem is that when you get before God and confess how well or badly you have met the requirements of the law, you will be lost. You will be condemned. He's saying that so that you will bring that future reality of your standing before God in Christ into your present reality so that every day and every problem is met in this new standing and this acceptance that you have and this identity that you have in the gospel. In so many ways, not uh, you can almost boil down The enemy's attacks on you in two ways. He wants you to lose confidence in God. And he wants you to lose confidence in your access or acceptability with God. Those are the foundational things. If you continue in any situation to have confidence in God, then you will trust him. And you will wait and watch patiently on him as he delivers you. If you lose confidence in your own access to God, then your even your prayers will be prayers of unbelief, and without faith it is impossible to please God. So the enemy knows that if he can if he can kind of invert in some way your understanding of the gospel to where you put your own performance and works first, then that will eclipse everything Jesus has done for you. And so Paul is Willing to go after this with all of his heart. I mean, Jesus himself, when he talked about the invitation into relationship, he says, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And the servants went out in the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. You know, what it's saying there is that the gospel is news. It's not advice. It's it's the news of what Jesus has done for you. And, it, and on your part, it's the acceptance of that invitation to be a part of the, of the wedding supper of the Lamb. I mean, it is more than just an invitation to morality. It's an invitation to a union. Um, a really good writer by the name of Richard Lovelace. he says this, this, this is pretty important insight. Only a fraction of the present body of professing Christians are solidly appropriating the justifying work of Christ in their lives. Many have a theoretical commitment to this doctrine, but in their day-to-day existence, they rely on their sanctification for their justification drawing their assurance of acceptance with God from their own sincerity, their past experience of conversion, their recent religious performance, or the relative infrequency of their conscious, willful disobedience. Few know enough to start each day with a thoroughgoing stand upon Martin Luther's platform. You are accepted, looking outward in faith and claiming the holy, alien righteousness of Christ as the only ground for acceptance. Christians, who are no longer sure that God loves and accepts them and Jesus, apart from their present spiritual achievements, are subconsciously radically insecure persons. Their insecurity shows itself in pride, a fierce defensive assertion of their own righteousness, and defensive criticism of others. They come naturally to hate other cultural styles and other races in order to bolster their own security and discharge their suppressed anger. I keep trying to emphasize this, that if you're not secure in your justification, if you're not secure in your acceptance with God, it creates so many damaging, twisted lies. It's the, it's the basis of racism. It's the basis of classism. It's the basis of hatred of other genders and unwillingness to treat people equally and treat people respectfully because one of the things that you know my own study has found is that people people who feel insecure feel like everybody else is powerful so they lash out with whatever power they feel like they have criticism defensiveness violence even whatever it might be in order to overcome their own insecurities this is why the gospel must frame everything. In Christ, you are never insecure. You may feel insecure, but you're absolutely not insecure. And the other problem is this, if you try by willpower, or if you try but even by good habits and discipline, to sanctify yourself, you will still feel insecure in your standing or your justification with God. Whenever we reverse this order, we try to We try to be sanctified, we try to be holy, in order to to be justified, we have actually perverted the gospel. A fear-based acceptance from God is no acceptance whatsoever. A fear-based obedience is no obedience. Criticalness of self, condemnation of self and others is antithetical it's 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 opposed to the gospel which says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and when others around you are acting in this way they not only affect themselves but they throw your life and they throw the lives of others who are trying to live in the security of the news of the gospel of Jesus Christ they're trying they throw it into confusion Perverting the gospel destroys the church. You may not like controversy, you may not like conflict, but the letter to Galatians says you've got to fight for the gospel inside your own heart, inside your own community. you got to fight for the gospel. In Galatians chapter 2, which is what we've been looking at for this week's uh, sermon, verse 11, it talks about the fact that you see, Peter came to Antioch, and what did Paul do? He said, I opposed them to his face. Because he stood self contemned because there were certain people who came from James. This is that people pleasing place. This is not gospel identity. This is people pleasing. It said he used to eat with the Gentiles, but after these ones came from James, he drew back and kept himself separate. Why did he keep himself separate? For the fear of the circumcision faction. You see, when you lose the foundation of the gospel, or when you, you, you make a different order. I've got to be sanctified to be justified. I've got to be holy in order to be righteous. Whenever you flip that, then what happens is fear then becomes the foundation of your life and insecurity becomes the way that you deal with others. And so, what I've been pushing this week and we will push hard this week is this, is that in Christ alone, do we have a received identity, and that received identity is deeply rooted in Christ, our union with Christ. And it is a highly elevated identity. Peter's foundational flaw, Paul says, was fear, insecurity, approval of others, disapproval of others. But Christ had named him the rock, he named him in his received identity, in his gospel identity, had called him the rock. But you see, when fear came, Peter switched from being the rock into being fearful Peter, into being something other than the rock. So he, in his fear, became somebody other than his true identity. And so Paul had to call him out on this. Now, obviously, Peter falling into a lie about his identity was disastrous. Here he had been eating with the Gentiles. He had fellowship with them, and all of a sudden he was treating them as unclean. He rejected them. So not only did his fear of rejection cause him to live in insecurity and out of alignment with the gospel, but now his insecurity and, and out of alignment uh, framing of his identity was affecting the gentiles because he was basically saying to them you're not worthy you're unclean you haven't earned my acceptance so what did paul call this and this is why we've really been so important to us about this reframe uh, series is he says you're not acting consistently with the gospel now the difference the difference between a gospel identity and a performed or achieved identity is significant. Because the only way that you can live in your received identity is to overcome your fear, particularly of the approval or disapproval of others. But it also is that you have to overcome Uh, performance as the source of your confidence. In many ways, you cannot live in your identity if you're not confident of your identity. But many of us, the only time we're confident of our identity is when everything's going our way. We're confident because we're achieving what we set out to achieve. We, you know, we fulfill our to-do list, whatever it is. Or we have other people telling us, oh, you're doing a great job. You're doing a great job. But, confidence is so important. But what's more important than confidence is the source of that confidence. If you think about it for a minute, Jesus was 100% confident. You never saw a more confident person than the Lord Jesus. He set his face like a flint toward Jerusalem. He knew exactly what his mission was. He knew exactly what to say to every person that either loved him or hated him. He knew exactly what to say. He lived in 100% confidence, but there was never anyone more humble than Jesus. You see, the difference was the source of Jesus' confidence was his humility, not his fear and his pride. He wasn't masking his fear with bravado, and he was living out of a place of complete dependence and surrender to the Father. So he could live with utter confidence because he lived out of a place of utter humility. And what what you see, what happens with someone like like Peter is once his confidence is gone, you begin to see that, that the foundational flaw of fear and pride are there and he stops acting in humility of his received identity. He didn't achieve that, he received it in order to confront the criticism and the disapproval of the Judaizers. He didn't use his received identity, he didn't live in dependence, he didn't live in humility in saying, this is what I have received from the Lord, therefore you cannot shake my confidence in this. Instead, he went back to his fear. And he framed the situation according to his fear, the Apostle Paul. And in doing so, in living in his fear, he began to live for the approval or disapproval of these religious people. And so Paul really makes it clear. He says, He says, the truly, you know, in a way, what you could say is the truly humble are confident, and the truly confident ones are humble. It's because the authority of that confidence is not in themselves, not in their performance, but in Christ alone. So the divine source that Paul preached, the divine source of the gospel, for Paul is also the divine source of your gospel identity. And anytime you move away from that divine source, then you really have no source for your confidence. But when you're operating in the confidence of your gospel identity you're actually operating in humility because what do you have that you have not received so it doesn't the praise doesn't come to you because of your performance the praise comes to the one from whom you've received the identity listen to what paul says paul's gospel did not come from a desire to please man but peter's fear did come from the desire to please man for do I now seek the approval of men or God? Paul's idea was I was not, I want to persuade God to my point of view. The idea of Paul was he was doing everything in the face of God. He was doing everything before God. God was his audience, and he was far more interested in pleasing God than pleasing any other person. See, the Apostle Paul, what mattered was God, and then he would leave the results to God. Or do I seek to please men? He, he really made it clear, I know where my obligation lies. I know the source of my identity. I know the source of my love, my peace, all of those things. And so he was far more connected to what does God want from me than what does man want from me. And he refused to shape his message to please his audience. There's a, there's a problem with all of us as human beings that we fall into the trap of wanting to be popular more than wanting to be faithful. And so you see the way the way that Paul and Peter lived out their lives was a reflection of their of their acceptance or rejection of their gospel identity. Paul Paul stood up to the to the great apostle and said I'm not going to let you get away with this. This is hypocrisy. Paul stood up to Barnabas, his mentor, and said, I'm not going to let you get away with this. This is hypocrisy. You're not just destroying yourselves. You're destroying the church. And if, and if this is allowed to go on, it will destroy everything. And so the problem for many of us is we don't realize that even small lies can make such a misalignment in our lives and our identity, how we look at ourselves, how we look at the world that we have to be willing to reframe according to the gospel. Now, I know I'm getting late on time, but I want to give you an example in my life. When I was a, when I was a young man, I had I had uh, I was a missionary in Mexico City. I had absolutely very little idea of my gospel identity. I didn't realize that Though I, I would say that I believed the gospel and I, I had accepted the gospel. I had really accepted the gospel as an initiation into relationship with God, but I just kind of saw the gospel not as the meat of my Christian life, but I saw the gospel more as, you know, this was my entrance. And so I was trying to work for God in my head. I was trying to be a servant of God, a good servant of God. But I, I wasn't but I was really facing the dark side of my the shadow side of my life, where I was really living for the approval, and living, you know, for, um, you know, in a way, my um, fulfillment or satisfaction by my performance and by other people's praise or other people's approval. And so, criticism, or disapproval, was was very destroying to me. This is one way you can know if you're living in your gospel identity: does praise overwhelm you? And does criticism destroy you? Because see, if criticism or praise affects you in any great way, then you're not rooted and grounded in your gospel identity. Because the praise of men is not the source of your identity. It's not the source of your fulfillment. So here was a 26-year-old minister wanting to prove myself, wanting to prove I was I was strong, and I was gifted, I was talented, I had worth, I had value. Those are all identity issues. And so I, I was working with a guy that was about six years older than me. He was the team leader on our, our missionary church planning team in Mexico. And six weeks into uh, our work together, he said, Mike, I have grown to hate you. I was really shocked by those, by those words, because I worked so hard to have everybody approve of me and And, after a while, it affected me so deeply that I began to look at him, and I began to compare myself to him. He was a terrible leader. He couldn't speak, he couldn't learn spanish. Um, he wasn't he wasn't gifted in ministry. he wasn't, you know, he was kind of a salesman, but it wasn't very deep. He wasn't very thoughtful or any of these things. so I began to compare myself to him and say I'm a better leader than he is, I'm a better speaker than he is, I'm a better theologian than he is, he shouldn't even be the leader because I am so much better than him. Now here's the thing, sometimes what you're saying is true, but if it's not being framed by your gospel identity, even what's true will destroy you because because it becomes a a rotting away a corrupting of the foundation of the gospel identity of your life so i began to think myself better than him and here's the simple truth if i have any gifts i didn't earn them gifts are not earned if i had any real skill in the things i was doing even that was from god i mean god doesn't share his glory with another but I was saying I had glory, which made me better than him. So I was, I was perverting the gospel by criticizing, disapproving, being angry with him. And what it ended up is it destroyed both of us in, in many, many ways. His hatred of me, my competitiveness with him. Because you see, in the gospel, please, please listen to this piece. In the gospel, it's never you comparing yourself to me or me to you. That's not the gospel. It's comparing ourselves to Christ. It's only a performance that I say, I'm better than you or you're better than me. And that's not the gospel. In the gospel, we look at each other and say, you know, the same basis that Jesus loves you is the basis he loves me. And it's not because of my works and it's not because of your works. I was so sinful, you were so sinful, Christ had to die for us. But you're so loved and I am so loved that Christ chose to die for us And he put us together in a family. And he told us to love and honor each other and even to think of each other more highly than ourselves because he thought more highly of us than we ever think of ourselves. And he thought more highly of us than he thought even of his own life. See, the gospel identity has everything to do with relationships with others. How we treat others, how we look at others. It gives you confidence But the source of that confidence is the humbling fact of dependence. Dependence. That the source of our identity is Jesus only. Jesus alone. It took me a long time to learn, even after the disaster of that that early relationship on the mission field. It took me a long time to learn to live in my gospel identity. To not live in comparison, to not live in criticism, defensiveness, to not live in the place where either praise or criticism could rock my world, but to live deeply rooted in the highly elevated identity that I receive in Jesus. Jesus said to Peter, you are the rock. But when Peter stopped living in his received identity and lived by fear, he wasn't the rock. He was an access point for the enemy. Think about this today. What is Jesus saying to you about your identity? Where does this apply? Let's reframe everything by our gospel identity. In Jesus' name, amen.